Welcome to Third Paradigm. We are your hosts, Clarity and Nuance. Third Paradigm is a digital third place, which is where people practice the art of conversation. The hosts and guests come from all backgrounds and different ways of thinking. We at Third Paradigm will discuss ideas and the facts of life with respect while pushing the envelope. Full disclaimer, hosts and guests will share their opinions. The opinions of our guests are strictly their own and do not represent the opinions of Third Paradigm. However, when we the host share facts, we will back them up with evidence. If we are wrong, we will make it right as soon as possible because that's integrity. Welcome to Third Paradigm. Episode one. All right, what we got today, Clarity? Today, we are going to be talking about voting because that is a very big hot topic today. And as our elections are approaching very quickly, we do have a lot of people out there who are all over the map when it comes to voting versus not voting versus third party voting or multiple different perspectives. So we have a couple of guests here on our show. Today we have two guests that I have a formal in, uh, introduction for, and then we have other guests that have chosen to come on board. So we have Joseph Paul Javier, he's the Executive Director of Wayne State University's Up to Us team. His organization is raising awareness around fiscal policy and economic responsibility in government, as well as encouraging citizens to play an active role in our nation's democracy by getting out the vote in this year's election. And we also have another special guest, Billy the Activist, and we also have a few other special guests along with us today. Awesome, awesome. Well, welcome everybody. How are you? How are you all doing? Good. How are you? Hello. I am. We're fine. doing wonderful here. <laughs> thank you for having us. All right. Thank you for coming all on. Right, all right. Thank you for having us. Of course. Thank you. So the way we set Go up ahead. the show is there are open-ended questions. Um, Nuance, you're welcome to start off with the first question. And again, they're open-ended, so you can just chime in when you feel. We do ask that with the due respect that we try not to over-speak each other, and we respect each other's opinions, even if we don't fully agree as well. Being uh, Nuance, and I believe in ladies first, um, we'll, we'll just start off with that, and we'll go down the line, whoever wants to take it up after that. Uh, first question is, I believe the voting system is not perfect because, and your reason. Um, bribery with voting. Um, and a lot of dishonesty. I don't know. Are, are we allowed to just pop in uh, in the conversation? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, uh, I'm just I'm just curious because like uh you know uh this is Joseph here from up to us Wayne State and uh. Obviously, I don't think anything is perfect in this world. Like, you know, there's always room for improvement or whatnot. But uh, whoever was just speaking, I'm not sure, um, the, the young lady here, uh, do you have any reasoning why you think uh, there's a lot of bribery or, or um, what was the other fact that you said? Um, dishonesty. Yeah, dishonesty in your, um, in the voting process. Well, why do you believe so? Um, just things I hear. I don't, um, oh my God. This is like so nerve-wracking for me right now. I can't even think. Oh, that's perfectly fine. You're welcome to just kind of like set up for a little bit if you like. Okay. okay. Um, I think um, voting is imperfect because of uh, cybersecurity reasons. 
Um, I know when uh, you cast a vote, it goes into a counting process. But one concern that I've always had is uh, how secure are these votes and who's actually handling it? Because I think that there's a lot of concerns of other countries that could get involved and corrupt the voting counting process. And uh, so I, I think that's a major concern is security. So I think that's a valid point. However, uh, what's nice about Michigan and what stands out about our state is that it is a decentralized polling system, which means all 1,300 elections that occur in every single district is run by each individual clerk on a non-online system. So every time you vote, it's through that paper ballot, right? Everything has to be done on paper and everything has to be counted and stored for later. So if there is a recount, if things need to be double checked, if there is a question of security and uh, credibility, there is that paper trail behind it. And there are things that we don't see, like layers and layers of uh, support and resources that exist to ensure that the process is secure. And I'm not commenting on other states. Online voting systems or systems that use the internet, I think, yeah, those are uh, hackable, those are potential for uh, corruption and for outside influence. I'm just referring to Michigan. I know for a fact there are layers upon layers of government entities that exist to protect our right to vote, but like talking points aside, Voting, like to answer the question, yeah, voting is, it's important, but do you really want to choose between the lesser of two evils every time? Like disenfranchisement is real with valid cause. Like I don't want to vote this election cycle. And that's terrible to say for someone in my position, but it is so frustrating to see the same thing happen over and over again. And then a system that enables that same behavior. And it's showing its head again, especially in this presidential election. I think it's important to keep in mind that the elections that are happening on November 3rd are not just presidential elections. You're not just choosing between President Trump or uh, or Biden. Uh, there are other, um, other uh, public servants that will be electing as well, whether it's for prosecutor, for school boards, uh, for you know local government. So. Uh, if you're only thinking of voting as voting for the president, you know, that's also an, an imperfect thought. Perhaps you could not vote for, you know, click the box um, at that level, but there's so many other officials that, uh, you know, are running. And uh, we have to keep that in mind and let people know that, you know, maybe the national elections, uh, presidential elections, you may feel frustrated, but there's also local elections at the state level and um, at the, you know, more local level that you can still participate in. Right, and those are arguably more valuable. Does, does that include also propositions on the ballot? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it does. And those are going to impact you a lot because it impacts like your millages and what community resources actually get funded. Uh, and yeah, I agree. If you're not going to vote, if you're frustrated to vote because of the presidency, still fill out the ballot because there's so much on the front and the back that's going to impact you. But don't leave anything blank even if you are frustrated with the president don't leave it blank because like a historic quote that i really like says the history that we have 
is decided not by those few in power who take action, but the many who are inactive. And I think that's very descriptive of the way things have been going the past couple decades in our country. It is so much inactivity that has led to where we are. And it, it is desperate for people to kind of pay attention again. And even if that means choosing the lesser of two evils, at least make your voice heard so that your community is actually looked at. Like from my perspective, my community doesn't vote. And so my community has never been given resources, never been paid attention to by a single elected official. So I understand what it's like to be disenfranchised and neglected as a, as a demographic, as an identity, as a, as a community. Can you but clarify what the, your uh, identity is or what your community is since um, we can't really see Arab each American. Arab American? Yeah. Okay. And okay. just for, for, for clarity, even though I'm not clarity, um, those nuanced details are not necessarily required um, on this podcast, but if you wish to disclose those things, everyone's more than, more than welcome. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's, a, it's something that I think is, is important to consider. And that's, yeah, the Arab American community is the one I'm referring to. Um, but that's not the only community. It's every community. It's every demographic community, many geographic communities, returning citizens, the homeless population. And like, especially with these other communities that voting is the least of their concerns. Like they need basic survival at this point in regards to housing and secure. The returning citizens, they need to find jobs and need to be reintegrated into society. Like they're, they're trying to get back on their feet voting seems like the last thing on their mind and that's very valid but it is so important that we foster an environment where you get out of prison first thing you do is like right, i'm gonna vote so i can influence what my community is going to look like so that the prison system actually does what it's supposed to you know you're having trouble and you can't find a place to live and you know you're going through financial troubles you need to be active so that the community is working towards finding solutions for you and you, for others who are, you know, in the same financial situation. So the, the one thing I'll have to stress here is make your voice, make your community have power because the only way you have power is by voting. Unfortunately, that's the only way you have power in this country, but it is the most effective one, and it's a privilege that many other countries don't have. That is absolutely I, correct. Uh, uh, I was going to jump in there with, with a fact because uh, I actually just got off the call with um, APIA Vote. So our Up To Us group um, has been partnering with APIA Vote, and uh, we've been reaching out to uh, potential voters, registered voters, ranging uh, of descent from the Middle East, uh, you know, South Asia, Southeast Asia, all the way to Pacific Islanders. And uh, right now, according to the statistics, over 89,000 people have a voter, uh, from that demographic, have a voter propensity of zero to 60%, which uh, translates into lay terms. They're registered to vote, but they don't use their right to vote. So uh, I just wanted to touch um, more on what our um, Arab American friend here on the call said, that it's important, you know, once you register to, to vote, your voice is heard through that voting, but it's important to make informed decisions and know which legislators you're voting for, know which uh, items in the ballot that you're voting for and how they affect you and your community. Right, and, and fear of this turning into like a political discussion or a political rally 
sort of environment. Uh, the last thing I'll plug in the terms of resources and voting is the like gorgeous like the League of Women Voters who make voting guides. So you actually can read up on a candidate and know who they're about, what they're doing, and why they're running for office. So you're not going in blind to every election. Uh, and they, you know, they're one of those organizations that there are dozens that exist. And you have to find the ones that are actually nonpartisan when they say nonpartisan and unbiased when they say unbiased. Because I can tell you there are millions, tens of millions of dollars flying around just Michigan alone during this election and during a lot of elections. And you don't see any of that money. But most of the organizations that are out there trying to push an agenda or a message do. So uh, that's the, the initial comment that was made. Yeah, that is valid. That bribery concern, uh, maybe not in the form that you may describe it or that you may imagine it, but it exists in a capacity with financial influence. But you have to find a, a source of information that you know is true, like the Michigan government, the Michigan Secretary of State's office, which are, you know, they're required by law to be nonpartisan. Look towards one organization or one that you know you can trust and stick with it. Ignore media. Ignore social media. I promise you all of it is meant to distract and confuse and overwhelm. I think and the important. more that you pay attention and uplift those messages of guns at the polls and everything, the more you enable that sort of dialogue and, you know, discourage people from actually participating. Well, you know what, I think it's unrealistic to say ignore the media, ignore social media, because this is the world that we live in. I think the more important message is that for voters out there or, um, you know, registered voters out there to be more informed and to be um, media savvy in filtering out the messages that they receive on the news, that they receive on, you know, Facebook or Instagram or uh, other, like Twitter on social media. Because, you know, we are living in the digital age and this is how... Uh, information is disseminated. So to tell people to you know to not consume those media, it's impossible. The important thing is to know which is uh, factual, which is unbiased, or uh, which sources uh, you can trust. But um, that's even harder in itself. But to tell people not to you know to look on Facebook, it's pretty much impossible. Uh, so I feel that is uh, a good question. Of oh, go, go, go ahead, um, gentlemen. We just started talking. Question? Sorry, uh, Billy. Uh, I feel... Isn't that a quick... Go ahead. No, oh, the, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel no, that Avis political this, science isn't taught in schools well enough for it, kids to exactly. really understand the importance of voting, let alone how to really decide on what is the best vote that suits them the most. Right, and that's what I was going to say. It, 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 that conversation then boils down to education. Right, not just political science. I'm talking about elementary school, are you taught critical thinking and information dissemination? Are you taught that? No. And because of the way our public education system works and the way, you know, we don't have to dive into charter schools or anything like that. But the way our education system works, it's not enabling that sort of thought. So to tell someone to learn that in the middle of the heat of an election, I, I don't think is it's feasible. Like people are really not taught how to discern information. And so then when we get into the conversation of ignoring social media, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine another solution. Well, I, well I, so I have a quick plug for everybody just for something that uh, is unbiased. Shameful or shameless? I, I would use a shameless plug.
But I would use okay. Politiscope, <laughs> the app. Politiscope allows you to know who your representatives are, especially on a federal level, what bills they are writing, what bills they are supporting. That is a great, great resource. And it comes with daily news that comes from sources that are pretty reputable for the most part, the ones you have to read. Um, and then you'll also see people's opinions, whether they have a thumbs up or a thumbs down on the article, and you can go into depth. So it just collects it, it, it centralizes the information from decentralized sources altogether, and you get to kind of not be in a echo chamber, while at the same time you get to see like what you, what sources you rely on, what sources other people rely on, and you get the actual record of what they did vote for and against. You see how many times they agreed with their party or against the other party, how many times they agreed with the president or not agreed with the president on a particular issue. So that is a great resource, along with open secrets when it comes to what money a candidate takes or does not take from a PAC or from a corporation or just from small dollar donations, whatever your concern is, open secrets and Politiscope, the app, is a great resource. And Ballotpedia is a great way to research what's on the ballot, what the proposals are, what the candidate may stand for, and it gives you links to other information. Okay, can you repeat that last statement? What's the source again? Ballotpedia. So the three sources okay. are Ballotpedia, Open Secrets, and Politiscope, the app. We'll make sure to put those in the description box below this episode. I'll okay. also put michigan.gov slash vote and vote411.org. For the state of Michigan? What about other states? Yeah, so that's... Um, cause, for I mean, other states? Yeah, we get people uh, from all over, so... I understand you represent a state in Michigan, and you're you're definitely in Mid and I hear Michigan's a better ground state, so of course that yeah. that's important. But um, there's a lot of states that uh, you know you never know. 2020 is a year where you just never know, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I mean I can again I can only speak to Michigan, but uh, there are a lot of resources that are statewide uh, that are countrywide. Um, okay, I, I would suggest just plugging as many as you could that uh, you guys have vetted in the description. Uh, but All right. I just want to comment on one more thing as long as we're on the topic of social media. One thing that uh, kind of adds to the argument against looking at it is uh, look at the judge ruling uh, that recently passed that allowed people to mail in their ballot. And as long as it was postmarked by November 3rd, as in you sent it in before November 3rd, no matter when it arrived, at least as long as it was two weeks before the end of the, uh, the, the election, so two weeks past November 3rd, you'd be good to go, right? Your ballot would be counted. So that's great, right? That would be great news. That would be phenomenal, make it more accessible. Don't have to worry about it, the uh, mailing system as much. But this is a fresh ruling, and we knew that it was going to be overturned, right? We knew that this was going to... Uh, be something that was hyped up in the news, the headlines are all there, you look at it for a brief moment, and then you relay that information, like, oh, I heard this. That's from valid sources, because it's valid, it's true. And then, two weeks later, the uh, ruling was overruled. And it was basically revoked, so now that's no longer the case. But that's not as shiny. That's not going to appear as many headlines, and so you're not going to see that part on social media. You're not going to see the correction 
And so you're going to send your ballot in, you know, a week before it's not going to arrive. And then your vote doesn't get counted. And that's like voter suppression at its finest. But that can be completely unintentional from people trying to spread the message of this new opportunity and people trying to get more inclusivity in our voting system. Like you could be spreading this message and not realizing how much damage it actually does. And so that's what I mean by needing to ignore social media and needing to ignore a lot of this, a lot of these things that are different. And that's tough because if you're in that circle, that smaller circle who knows what's going on, who's a little bit more attentive to the political ongoings of your state or of the country, they might notice that. Like they might know what's happening. They might see it. They might be paying attentive attention even when that uh, revocation happens. But for the majority of people, and the people who are just going to glance at social media headlines, and the people who haven't had that education and information discerning, those are the ones who are the majority, the bigger group, and those are the ones that are going to lose their vote. Mm. I wouldn't think that that would be a social media problem. I think that's something that the viewer needs to keep on top of rather than just relying on just social media for that for that social media and social media both these are fantastic I responses say, I would say um, regarding politics is truly unavoidable in social media so I would say shut it off completely. I mean, don't go online, don't go on any, like, news sites. Just because there's a lot of false information that gets around. False information, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, well, by, by that frame of mind, because like, here in the communication industry, we always say that, um, you know, media is a tool, and in and of itself, it's neutral. Like, if you just remove yourself from social media, you're still going to be hearing uh, fake news or fake facts or, or, or whatnot from the people around you, like, regardless of where you're at, whether it's reading a newspaper, whether it's Facebook or it's mm -hmm. talking to your coworkers, mm -hmm. you know, at the, the, you know, the drinking fountain, you're going to be hearing to all podcast. these messages, or this podcast even. <laughs> so uh, that's why it's important, you know, to use critical thinking. Like, and, and, I, and I argue, like, even with the children, someone brought up... Um, do we teach children about critical thinking? I think that's what the whole process of going to school is. Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to media consumption, that may be something reserved for students like in communication or journalism, uh, courses like that when you get a little bit older, but we're constantly trying to teach our children to use critical thinking. Like when it comes to these issues that are pertinent to voters in this upcoming election, like for our group for Up To Us, our platform is letting people know that uh, the way that the uh, government spending is going the, the trend that it's been going for the for the past um, several decades it's unsustainable currently the united states is over 27 trillion dollars um in debt uh which translates to over 82,000 per american citizen that each person would have to pay in order for us to uh you know uh expunge this debt and this debt is going uh exponentially by the second so if people are informed about these issues you know if, it's, uh, we're just trying to start a conversation. They can fact check for themselves. And uh, maybe if they don't have those skills, you know, they can use the internet possibly to learn um, how to better fact check or ask uh, people that are knowledgeable, ask their parents to these children, like um, mom and dad, 
or which news sources are more credible and which ones are more biased. It's impossible to tell people not to be informed because like if we advocate for people to be ignorant, you know, ignorance is bliss, but when it comes to voting, you're not going to really know anything. Like, uh, does anyone here on this um, panel have direct access to legislatures or legislators or uh, what the government is doing on higher levels? The only way that you're informed is through word of mouth or what you hear in the media. These are really good responses. Also, We're going to move on to the next question, um, so that way we can... Also, shame, shameless and shameful plug, this show does not try to spread fake news. As we said in the intro, we will get facts when we say it's a fact. And if we are wrong, we will correct ourselves. But on to you, Clarity. Yep. And with just another side, Clarity from Clarity. Um, again, the opinions of all the guests are strictly their own. Um, for those who are listening in, if you like to and you do not agree, by all means, please go ahead and kind of look it up. Google's going to be your best friend. But for any of us uh, as a host, if we come on board and we got some information for you, we will make sure to back that up with the information and the links in the description box. So moving on to the next question. If I had control over the voting process, I would... Mm -hmm. Finish that sentence. The voting process. Um, is this the voting process for the entire nation, or is this voting process of just like my city? It would be the voting process for the entire nation. Um, basically, this question was arrived from a discussion with someone where they felt that the system that is currently in place um, doesn't really help out the bigger cause because it feels it's a repetitive cycle. So if any one of you, our special guest, had the option and the ability and the means to be able to change the system when it comes to voting, how would you change and improve the voting process? And that can go beyond than just simply the marking the ballot. It can go into multiple other things, such as terms like the gerrymandering and even before the elections. What would you, what would you do? Good question. That's a great question. Yeah, it is. Um, one thing that I would like to address is I wish the voting process would address more of the youth. I think that uh, maybe the high school, uh, the upcoming generations need a little better voice than uh, the voices that are already spoken for during this whole voting uh, process. I think uh, they're very underrepresented in all these elections. And I think if the high schools stressed more about how to vote, how to research to vote, and, and uh, understand how to fill out their ballots correctly so there isn't any uh, invalid uh, uh, ballots, I think there would be a, a lot more representative um, I don't know, a person that won the election. I think it would be a great, great way to do it. Yeah, I agree. And that again goes back to that fundamentals of education. Um, I think if we wanted to fix the system, like if I could really revamp it all, it would need to require uh, some sort of, uh, first of all, anti-gerrymandering across the board, uh, kind of something similar to what's happening. Uh, again, I'll plug Michigan with its uh, Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission. You know, yeah. 13 randomly selected people were going to draw Michigan's district lines to ensure that it is 
fair, representative, equal, and they are transparent in their whole process and have to receive public comment, you know, not legislators drawing their own line. So that's the first step, just to make sure that districts are actually fair. Secondly, I would change the way that the actual process is. Right now, there's so many barriers in some states. There are poll taxes that exist. There are uh, voter registration deadlines that make it impossible to vote if it's the day of the election. There are uh, ID laws that exist, and some voter registration systems uh, just scrub them at random whenever they want and make it so that you're no longer registered. So you could have registered one day, and then the next election cycle, you have been removed, and then you had to re-register again, and you weren't informed, so now you can't actually vote in that election. It is the most backwards and messed up form of voter suppression, but uh, if I could change anything, it would be removing any barrier uh, and all the voter suppression that is institutionalized. I'll have to think more on what else I would do. Too much power right now. This is Clarity. I'm just going to throw in something that, um, and now again, I'll uh, include it in the description box as well, but one type of voting system that I really admire, that I would love to see, um, again, like we're all sharing really good perspectives. One thing would be getting rid of the first pass of post voting style, which is what we currently do. It's a winner takes all system. I have looked into a similar style that more goes into ranking, which I really admire. I know a couple of cities have used it. Um, it's also known as the alternative voting or runoff voting, where what it does is it yeah. ends up shrinking the parties mathematically. So you would vote, say, I want candidate one, two, and three. And then say number one didn't get enough votes in the first turn around, they kind of remove that person and they transfer your votes to your number two. And then it goes through uh, multiple smaller elections and it shrinks the parties. Now, it's also susceptible to gerrymandering and other uh, like voter suppression and such, but mathematically it's a lot more significant because what we use, which is the first past the post style voting, you have what's called a minority rule. You also have what is called that spoiler effect where if you have like say 20 candidates and only one person got the most, if you look at it in a pie graph, the vast majority of people who voted end up voting for somebody that wasn't that one person. So it ends up becoming more of a mathematical issue. And with the alternative voting style, it transfers those votes down to like, oh, your first candidate didn't get it, so we'll move it to the second. If the second did it, we'll get to the third. And there's still, like I said, there's still issues with it, but it is math-based. And it, it comes across as a little bit more superior than just a winner-takes-all in a system. But again, I'll, I'll provide some information about that in the description as well. You mentioned runoff voting. Uh, was it East Point? I think the city of East Point, their mayoral election used that, didn't they? I think so. Um, I know what's nice about it, and I think you've touched on this, is that it gets, uh, it gives actual voice to the third party, right? Correct. Because then you can vote first for them and then second for whatever you know major party. That's so cool. I wonder what that would be like on a country-wide basis. I believe Maine, if I'm not mistaken, I think about two years ago, actually started implementing that in their state elections. And I believe there's like two or three other cities in the country that also use it as well. But I know there's a couple yes, of countries Maine does that do it. it. Yeah, yeah Maine does do it. That do that style. Uh, I believe Canada might. Canada might. 
I will double check that. That's my opinion, not a fact. Yep. Do I need more input? These are really good responses. Thank you so much. All right, we'll move on. So uh, moving on to the next question. I believe I'm proud or not proud of my country because... Oh, you are opening up a can Ooh. of worms here. <laughs> that question. Yeah. Yep, heavy question. I kind of wanted to save that one for later, but if you want to go into that one now, we could. Yeah, mm. we can go in that one if what? Well, I'm in the middle of the road because I'm proud because of all the compassion that's going around right now with, like, Black Lives Matter and stuff. But I don't because of all of the racism and hate going on. And just, it's awful. And I don't know, I'm indifferent. <laughs> I love this country. I grew up super patriotic. Again, I am from the Arab American community. I was a son of immigrants. I was very fortunate to grow up in this country. I know the difference from back home. So I, I absolutely love this country. I view myself as an American and an Arab, but an American first. But that doesn't mean I agree with everything it does. And the one thing I think it does terribly, terribly, is its education system. That's the one thing I'll always point to that needs to be uh, repaired before we can do anything else. Could you expound on that about the education system? And yeah. So yeah. it doesn't pay enough. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, it doesn't pay enough attention to critical thinking skills uh, into it. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, wow. The word for the classes and it's, I'm forgetting a really important word here, uh, the classes that you take growing up. Curriculum. 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 Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't put enough uh, resources into its curriculum. Oftentimes schools are funded at a rate that is maybe a tenth of what the pol local police departments are, which is another conversation of the school to prison pipeline that exists. And Detroit's a prime example of schools like that. Um, but it, and with people like Betsy DeVos, who are strongly linked, I don't know if we can have like a discussion here about a specific person in office, but you know, she plays a critical role in all this. She pushes for charter schools, which are privately funded and publicly funded, yet you need to pay to get in. It's a, you know, it's a barrier for the, the, work, the lower class. And so uh, resources are funneled away from public schools into charter schools. Uh, and so our education system is, is failing because it's severely underfunded and teachers are severely under-supported. So the students suffer the most. And it's shown over the past 30, 40 years what that does on a country and its ability to participate in an election. Billy, you know, I, I totally agree with you there. Like, this brings back into question um, 
the issue of inequity, like, you know, depending where you live, your, your schools will be funded differently because a lot of it's being funded by property taxes. So if you live in an affluent area, like here in Michigan, like if you're living in Rochester Hills, Bluefield Hills, Birmingham, you do have, those students do have access to so much more resources than let's say a student living in Detroit and they're going to Detroit public schools, but they don't have enough school supplies, they don't have enough books, the teachers are, are paid way less than, um, you know, teachers from other districts. And speaking of, uh, of an inequity, I have to bring this up here because um, being a doctor of pharmacy student here at Wayne State University, and uh, you know we've been we've been doing a lot of research about uh, you know the economy for for our up to us organization, and healthcare is an issue where inequity is something that I'm not proud of here in the country. Um, healthcare is one of the major drivers of the national debt. We spend a lot on healthcare. Um, we actually spend the most in the world. Out of all the developed countries in the world, the U.S. spends the most on healthcare, but we don't even have the top health outcomes as compared to other uh, G7 countries. Um, we, we're the only country that's developed that doesn't have healthcare available to all, all of its citizens. Um, there, are so many, there are so many Americans that are living without insurance that uh, are struggling to have access to healthcare. And given the pandemic that's been going on, you know, we have uh, hundreds of thousands of deaths and even more people that were infected with COVID. And, um, our economy is struggling, uh, and we firmly believe that a healthy economy begins with healthy citizens. And if our citizens, whether here in Michigan or any other state in the United States, don't have access to health care and they're not being healthy, how can we move forward? That's something that I'm not proud of. But on the, um, con on the converse, I am proud of our country because there are people just like people on this panel. There are students out there, people working in government, and you know, just average Americans that are getting their voices out there and making a stand and letting people know that, you know, we need to make some changes. You need to get out there and vote, and you need to know which candidates uh, uh, will help you achieve the goals that you need to see America become the country that it should be, where everyone has access to the things that will enable them to, you know, life, liberty, and happiness. What am I supposed to refer to you as? Like, what, what name are you going? I'm Joseph. I, I, I'm not anonymous. I'm just Joseph. Can I just say, it, that was one of the smoothest transitions from education to healthcare I've ever heard. That was clean. <laughs> Thank you. Good job, Joseph. Anybody, anybody else have anything to add? Um, I'm not proud of this country due to its justice system. I think it's very backwards, and I'm just not overly proud of how things are handled inside of, you know, how justice is served in a lot of, uh, I want to say, uh, nationwide sort of attention. Um, something like uh, Breonna Taylor and um, other uh, racial justice sort of crimes, they, they aren't really addressed very well. And uh, for instance, I, I do know that, uh, what was it, the, the cop that um, fired shots at Breonna Taylor, at, what was it, her neighbor's uh, house was actually struck by the bullets and that's what the, the cop was charged by was just because the bullets hit the neighbor's house and 
I find it interesting how that is what brought justice to the cop and not someone's life. No justice, no peace. Wow. It's not even, that's not even justice. That's, he's getting punished, but it's not just because he should be, if he is found, like he should be punished for the crime of killing someone, not because one of his bullets strayed into someone else's property. That's, there's no justice served there. Yeah, That's right. No um, so I, I am proud of this country for, uh, for how many uh, people have really fought for my right to uh, vote. I, I understand that this is a process that my ancestors have fought for many, many years for and died uh, to really have my voice, my, my voice to be heard and that's by voting, and I feel proud of that. Uh, does anybody feel like there's other forms of injustice? Like, is there injustice based not just on color? Um, well, buddy. Um, here's a, here's a fact. Uh, this was recently published a few weeks ago that about $30 trillion worth of economic productivity has been lost uh, in, in the past few decades because of systemic racism. This is specifically affecting the African-American or black community here in the United States. And this is, you know, we're supposed to be the land of plenty here. And um, this is why it's important to vote and make sure that we have fiscal policy and, and uh, legislation that protects and uh, safeguards against this kind of discrimination. Because if we can all rise together, regardless of what our skin color is, regardless of what our sexuality is, regardless of what our religion is, or regardless of where we live, in which state we live in, or what part of the state we live in, uh, there's more than enough in this land of plenty for everyone to thrive and to make contributions to society. But the way that things are going now, things are not going to change unless we get out there and encourage people to vote. So do you feel that there is also a, a, a justice system that's not just one race focus, but maybe like, let's say if you are middle class, working, working class person, and you commit a crime, do you think that the person who commits the same crime as you and yet they have more money or more status will get the same amount of time or not? I belong. I think that if you have power and influence, or if you belong to a certain uh, group that is favored, or uh, you know, you can have that favoritism. You can uh, weasel your way out of other things. Just look at uh, our prison system right now. I think uh, someone brought it up: the injustice in the prison system. There are uh, so many. Uh, there's a disproportionate number of black and brown and people of color uh, folk in in uh, prisons right now, and a lot of them have the same crimes as other, uh, others who are not uh, minorities, but they're doing way more jail time, uh, or even going to jail, while these other people, you know, may not even go to jail. So there, there uh, is, right. put a number it, it's, it's that, uh, you know, implicit bias. There is bias, and we have to recognize that, that, uh, like, you know, we're just prone, like from for myself, like when I see someone that looks like me or has something in common, you tend to be nicer to them. Like, I think that's just human nature. But um, if you recognize that bias, then you can be a little bit more impartial and uh, justice should be blind, regardless of what minority group you belong to. Or, or uh, like they even say, like, if you're good looking, the people who are more good looking than others get preferential treatment. And uh, justice should be blind. And uh, we, we should be fair, and there should be equity. And um, 
injustice is just isn't limited by the color of your skin. There are so many other factors, age, um, how people are treated, uh, people living with disabilities. These are really good responses. These are fantastic. I'm going to move on to the next question, Wyatt. So we kind of brought it up a little bit. We're going to bring it back again into the voting system. So the next question is, and we have a couple left. I believe there are not enough parties that represent the people, or do you believe outside parties spoil elections? Um, Can you say that again? Yeah, absolutely. I believe there are not enough parties that represent the people, or do you believe outside parties spoil elections? So the question of, say, Green Party, Workers' Party, Third Party. I think there are plenty of parties. It's just that our American political system is dominated by the two parties, the two parties um, that are predominant right now. Like, if you look at other countries, a lot of uh, different groups have so many different parties, but... um, it's just hard to compete because a lot of people think, oh, if I don't vote for one of the two parties, like my vote won't count. Uh, so I, I think that's a problem that's been brought up several times in, in um, the elections for the past decade, uh, decades upon decades. But I really don't know how to solve that problem. So would you change it to where you would have more parties having access to the ballot to where um, there wouldn't be so much? Is that something you would change? I guess that's a different question to where more parties have uh, equal opportunity to get votes? Like, do you feel like that's a system thing or that's a person thing? I think it's a combination. I think it's the system and the people because if, if I'm not a political scientist, so I really can't go in, into that that deep. But uh, uh, like I friends that are libertarian, uh, but they still vote. And when people hear them saying, that, oh, you're voting for the libertarian candidate, you're, you're wasting your vote. But if you look back in the day, uh, when Ross Perot was running for president, he was an independent, and he, like he, you know, was right up there with the Republicans and Democrats. So um, the possibility is there for someone to to uh, have a running chance that are not a Republican or a Democrat. I just don't know how to make that happen. Very good. Very good responses. All right, um, on to the next question. Uh, and again, yeah, yeah I got one. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I got one. Um, thank you, Clarity. Uh, do you believe that politicians voter shame? Any of you? Voter shame? Can you can you uh, clarify that nuance? So, all right, let me give you the nuance on that. So, voter shame. Uh, Here's a fact, and this can be looked up. There are more people in this country that don't vote than vote at all. So you have politicians who will, I guess the question is, do you feel that politicians blame voters when they don't win or their party doesn't win versus taking responsibility for not winning? I guess that's the way I'll, I'll frame that. Mm. I think blame is a very strong word because especially when you're dealing with politicians, you know, they don't want to offend, you know, voters. But you can really see like now everyone is trying, both parties are, uh, are trying to get 
as many people out to the polls as possible because it seems like we're fighting for life and death of our nation here in, in this election. So, um, but like in the previous election, um, Hillary versus um, Trump, I think, you know, they always bring up those statistics that if more uh, people of this demographic had voted, maybe the results would have been different. Like right now, we don't have as many Americans, you know, registered eligible voters uh, voting. And that is a problem. Like, uh, and, and that's really one of the major reasons why organizations like um, ours, Up To Us, or the APIA Vote, or even this podcast perhaps, you know, are working very hard to make sure that each and every eligible voting American does their civic duty to get out to the polls and participate in this democracy. It's a government, uh, you know, of the people, for the people, by the people, but if the people aren't getting out there to partake in it, you know, it's, it, it's, it's going to be, um, you know, a, a sad loss for our democracy. Okay, so could I, uh, press, could I give you a little press on that? So just as much as that is true, um, kind of going back to, to tie it into another question, maybe do you believe that, that maybe politicians don't deliver as to why there are 100 million people who are eligible to vote, don't vote? Like, do you believe that they or may not be delivering on something? I remember someone saying earlier that they're tired of the system going in circles and circles and seeing the lesser two evils. Maybe that's right, why people may not vote or how they see, well, there's justice for people of one group of one demographic where they look the same as me or different from me. Or, and then there's injustice for uh, the, the, the demographic that doesn't like me, or maybe based on class, where there's justice for people who are regular, average day, everyday Americans. But then if you make a certain amount of money and a certain amount of influence, no matter what your color is, you may be able to get away with the crime or at least get away with it for a long time. So that's what I mean by even though people do feel that this is a very existential election and whatnot, how we got here to where for years and years and years people still choose not to vote and then politicians will say well if more people of this demographic have voted things would be different do you believe that that's a valid way of trying to get people to vote which is what some people call voter shaming or do you believe that maybe politicians need to actually rethink what they're doing or if they care I mean, it's cyclical, right? Uh, is it on the politician or the elected or the candidate running for office to reach out to those communities, those marginalized groups who traditionally haven't voted? Is it their responsibility? I don't know if the term responsibility is, uh, is the correct, the most correct term here, but I think any savvy politician would want to recognize this because if you're trying to get as many votes as possible, you really need to reach out to those constituents that are not participating and not heading to the polls. Because if you can influence them and if you can get them to vote for you, the more votes, the better. I disagree. It's like if I was running for office, right? And I'm, I don't care about what I'm doing. There's no community I want to bring out. I will just go for the group that already votes. I will get into all the circles that they're in and influence them because it's much easier than trying to convince people who've never voted to go out and vote. Okay, so that's why I say it's a responsibility to take that extra effort to go into those groups and encourage them to participate. Well, I mean, for myself, I've worked on political campaigns before, and obviously, uh, you have your base that you know or you assume or you hope will vote for you 
Um, but if you reach out to those uh, constituents that are obviously opposed to your stance or opposed to your party, those are not the people that we would reach out to. What we would reach out to is are those voters that are on the fence or that are non-participative because they can still be influenced by the messages that you give them uh, in educating them about your platforms uh, to vote one way or the other. It's hard to change people that have already made up their minds that I'm going to vote for this candidate. And if you're, you already have... Right, but you said voters. You said yeah. the term voters, though. Isn't that I'm what we're talking, talking about? non-voters. No, these are eligible voters. These are people that are eligible. So, like, obviously, like, they're non They're they're not voting, but they're eligible voters. They they are either registered to vote, like uh, what we're doing here with up to us and APIA reaching out to these uh, low voter propensity um, citizens, or reach out to like those that are turning like that are seventeen year old, eighteen year old that have are eligible to to uh, register to vote that are just being eligible or those voters that maybe have not uh, registered to those possible those citizens that have not registered to vote yet. Those are all viable um, um, populations to reach out to and let them know what your, uh, you know, platforms are, what you want to do for them, what you want to do for this country. Those are really good answers because literally the one of the last two questions that we have is when in regards again the way that we design the podcast is to kind of like straddle with both different perspectives if you are having a conversation with somebody who is definitely not planning on voting at all um and i think you i think you a lot of you've already answered that question but just for like a little bit more clarity wise from clarity um (laughs) if you are having a conversation like say a very casual conversation with someone who is not planning on voting at all they really just don't have an interest they don't want to get involved and on a side note they do have the means to vote so this is not somebody who had their voter right taken away or they are an undocumented immigrant this is someone who can vote they have the ability and the means to but they personally choose not to how would you empathize with that person and try to meet ground with the person when it comes to a non-voting person? Um, okay, so this is my first year voting. Um, and I, growing up, I wasn't into politics at all. Um, but it's gotten so bad where, like, it, I considered myself a needle in a haystack. Like, one, I'm only one person out of, like, billions of people, you know. Um, but now that I kind of understand what this world is going through, um, I think, like, I registered to vote this year, and I'm going to vote this year, so, and it, I guess it hasn't really taken effect on me as much. So that's why I never voted in the past. Good perspectives. Anybody else? Yeah. Um, the past, um, this is my second year voting. And, you know, growing up, I, politics didn't really interest me much at all because I feel like it didn't really impact uh, my way of living and I felt that you know it's my vote 
cast it into, you know, I don't know how many millions. I felt that my vote didn't really count as well. And therefore, I just didn't vote. And now, you know, uh, later on, I, I start to thoroughly understand that, you know, voting is definitely important. And it takes a lot of time to really research who you should really vote for. But it's definitely important. It took me a while to understand that. Perfect. And we have one last question here, and then we will close it out. Um, the very last question is, I believe people can get too intrusive directly towards others if they vote or do not vote, and why? Can you repeat that one more time? Yep. I believe people can get too intrusive directly towards others if they vote or do not vote. I'm not sorry, um, clarity, but I'm not really understanding the question. Can you can you give like an example? Are you saying uh, it's I, not I my business if someone else vote? Yes, I can give a little nuance. Like let's say if someone says I'm voting and someone else says I'm not voting, and let's say some people's like, man, why are you voting? Or why are you not voting? Do you believe that that can be a little too intrusive to where it can basically maybe kind of pull relationships apart that you normally would have? So oh. do you feel that talking about voting is a positive thing on a personal level, like if you're trying to get somebody to vote or versus maybe someone says, well, voting, eh, I don't really think that. I think maybe doing other actions like direct action, maybe trying to inform people, maybe protesting, maybe doing petitions where maybe that does get a vote, but they just don't like voting itself. Do you feel that that can be a little intrusive or do you think it's a necessary part of the process? Do you feel that it can build friendships to become stronger as well as family, familial, familial relationships, or can it tear them apart in a sense? I think the conflict is more so when you have friends or family that are going to vote against, like, you know, for, for differing parties. Like, I think uh, Clarity knows this all too well, <laughs> how it, it can strain friendships or, um, you know, relationships with friends and family. But I don't think it's intrusive to ask your friends and family, like, hey, are, are you voting? It's only when you start prying and asking, like, which which you know candidate are you voting for and why and then trying to convince them that's where you know a lot of the arguments uh, come about because I think we should always be encouraging uh, each other to, to play an active part in our democracy but but uh, you know it's just natural once you, the first question is hey are you gonna be voting in this election the next question you probably the most like most people would ask is so who are you voting for so I could see how some people get defensive, but intrinsically, we should all be encouraging uh, people that we know to vote. Yeah, especially this year. Um, I, I believe personally that if, if anyone chooses not to vote, then they're in favor of the enemy. That's, that's my opinion, though. I feel that um, there are a lot of people who will always question who I favor, and they 
they'll always dig deep on why I feel that way. And uh, I feel that there's always going to be that one person that'll always uh, heckle me for my beliefs or who I support. And it's, I feel that it's a little bit more of uh, understanding, you know, where I really stand for and understanding that I shouldn't really listen to what they exactly have to say on a certain degree. Um, I feel that there are too many people out there who definitely intrude uh, on what I believe in. And whether that's politics or religion, I think that there's always that factor in both those topics. Hmm. All right. Um, um, before we go, I'm just going to one layer of a devil's advocate question. I, 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 the, the opinion that was said that anyone who doesn't vote is the enemy, I, I totally understand where it's like, like, if you're not a part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And, yeah. and in a lot of a lot of situations, that's true. So what about, let's say, you got someone that, you know, was a war vet, went to overseas and thought the war was unjust, that they were just a part of something that where it's like either they felt like it was a war crime or it was a war based on a lie. And then they do their research and they look up the party that they're affiliated with. They look up the party they're not affiliated with and they see that both are responsible for the massive war and death that was there and their friends that died along with them and the innocent civilians like the Iraq war or something. And they believe that they cannot in good conscience participate in that system that way. Does that person, is that person, the enemy is, is that person worth empathizing with when they went um, through those things or yeah. is it just brought across the board? If you don't vote, you know, for any reason, then you're a bad person. Um, yeah, I like. I think everyone has their own opinion on things, and like, I'm not against it. I mean, I'm open to any opinion that anyone has. Um, I guess I I said that wrong when I said that um, if you're not voting, then you're voting for the enemy. Um, but like, something needs to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's what I'm trying to say. Right, right. I, yeah. So we want to thank everybody. Thank you so much again for coming on board with us today. Um, I'd like to take a special moment to thank all of our special guests here, um, Billy the activist, and also Joseph Paul Javier. Again, he's the executive director of Wayne State University's Up to Us team. And as mentioned before, his organization is raising awareness around fiscal policy and economic responsibility in government, as well as encouraging citizens to play an active role in our nation's democracy by getting out the vote in this year's elections. And again, you can listen to our podcast. We release them every Saturday. And we want to say once again, from Clarity and Nuance, thank you so much for being here on Third Paradigm. Yes, thank you very much. You all did a wonderful job. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.